Hey, welcome everybody. I'm so glad you're here today. It's so good to see so many faces here this morning. Thanks for braving the storm. Come on, you know you love Jesus when you get up and it looks like that outside and you come to church. Come on, I love it. That's awesome. If you don't know yet, um, and I, I, if you don't know who I am, my name's Matt. I'm the, one of the lead pastors here at Life Church, along with Tanya Jansen, and we get to be your lead pastors. It's amazing. We get to serve alongside pastors Mike and Ev, and, um, and we love the house of God. We love everybody that's here today. Thank you so much for being here. I don't believe there's any accidents in this place this morning. And I want to bring you up to speed on what we've been talking about, because we're about to dive into the Word of God this morning. Uh, we've been doing a series called Seven Letters, and it's taken from the book of Revelation to bring you up to speed. What's happened is uh, the Apostle John uh, was put onto a prison island called Patmos because he refused to take part in emperor worship. And so he's on this island. The Bible tells us he's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day when he hears a voice behind him that calls out to him, Come up here. And he has a vision where he sees the risen Christ, Jesus. And Jesus has a message that he wants to give, and it is his revelation, his unveiling. And in that, he begins by uh, expressing seven letters that he wants John to write down and, and deliver to seven different churches. And in those letters, he reveals a little bit about himself, and he deals with some issues that might be popping up in those churches. This morning, we're going to be doing the fourth letter, which is the letter to the church of Thautira. Thank you, Blue Letter Bible. Thautira. Now, we would always say phonetically, Thyatira. Can you all say Thyatira? Right, but, but doesn't Thautira just sound so much more authentic? Right? So let's all do that again. Thautira. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you, Blue Letter Bible. That's awesome. That's how we actually say it. And we're going to be diving into that letter in just a moment. But before we do, I just wanted to comment a little bit on this letter, as well as what we talked about last week, because the two actually kind of fit together in a lot of different ways. And the big idea today that, that Jesus is getting at is this idea of no compromise. Somebody say no compromise. And I was thinking about the subject this week because Pastor Mike preached such a wonderful sermon last week on this idea of not compromising. But I was thinking about the fact that the idea of compromise is actually a little bit more nuanced maybe than we might think. Um, it actually is a little bit broader than, than, than what we might think because in reality, our lives are daily compromises that we have to navigate and negotiate. I mean, if you lived a life that had literally no compromise, um, you would be a very selfish and self-centered individual. I mean, what, what if I told you today, hey, my message today, church, life church, is this, no compromise. You're like, okay, I got this. I got this. I'm going to do this. No compromise. And so you wake up on Monday morning, and what is it? You're feeling angry. You're like, okay, well, Pastor Matt said, no compromise, so I'm going to live it out today. And so you're driving on the way to work, and you're, you're tailing the person in front of you, no compromise. And you're hitting your horn, and you're like, listen, I'm not going to get in the way for this person. And you get into the office in the morning, you're just like, hey, what's up? What's wrong with you? No compromise, man. I'm angry today. You know, you're living that out. That would be really weird. Or what if you woke up in the morning, and your day was like, today it's about Mexican food. That would be like one of my days. Get up in the morning, go downstairs. I'm like, you know what, Tanya, forget the, um, forget the toast this morning. I want some huevos rancheros, por favor. She's like, what are you talking about? Today is Mexican day. No compromise. Right? And then, so then I go to work in the day, and I'm, I'm like, you know, doing my, my frijoles, you know, and my queso. Just 
throwing out some Mexican words I know. And, um, and, and, you know, I'm doing all this stuff, and I get home at night, and Tanya's, like, made this amazing, like, you know, crock pot full of soup, and she's got, like, fresh buns out, and I, like, walk in with a, with a paper bag. She's like, what's that? I'm like, chipotle. Because it's Mexican day, no compromise. Right? That, that doesn't work. Right? That doesn't work. Because the issue when it comes to compromise is the, is the question that we must ask ourselves, which is what is the standard by which I must not compromise? What's the line that I'm actually drawing? What's the thing that I will not compromise against? That's the question that we need to ask. And so my main idea today, as we dive into this particular passage, this is our introduction, if you will. This is our foundation. I'm setting the table for you as we get into this, this, this verse about Thyatira, this letter written to Tira. Uh, this is the thing. He, uh, the main idea is this, is that as followers of Christ, our standard is Jesus. So when we say no compromise, what we mean is we don't compromise in our relationship with him. Amen? He is the standard. He is the anchor. He is that for which we stand and we do not fall. We will not compromise in our relationship with Jesus. This is our foundation this morning as we turn to the Word of God. If you have a Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. While you're turning there on your apps and in your Bible, we do believe one of our uh, foundational values is the Word of God. Um, while you're doing that, I'm going to give you a little commercial. Uh, it, it, we also mentioned earlier that one of our foundational values is prayer. And I wanted to personally invite you, Tuesday mornings, we have a building down on Prospect Avenue at 15138 Prospect Avenue, and it's called Life Center. And Tuesday mornings at 7 o'clock, I am going to be there every Tuesday at 7 o'clock, and I'm going to open those doors, and I'm going to put some music on, and I'm going to be there to pray. And I want to invite you and let you know that you are all invited to come. And I've had some amazing times so far in the presence of God, and I'm just going to keep doing that because I really feel like God has put on my heart that this begins and ends with Him. And if we're not praying, then, then what are we doing? And so I'll be there Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock. That's it. Commercial over. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And this we're going to read today all the way through to verse 28. So stick with me. In the, in the, New, Living, uh, pardon me, in the New King James translation, and to the angel of the church of Thatira, write, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one according you want each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest of Thautira, as many as uh, as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes, and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power 
over the nations. He shall rule them with an iron rod, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning for your word. God, that it is in fact your word that is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between the soul and the spirit. It discerns to the intents of the heart, Lord God. And this morning, Lord God, I pray that you would use me as your vessel to declare your word. Father God, I pray that this would be a time of worship as we turn our attention and focus back to you. God, I pray that you'd give us supernatural focus this morning, Lord God. And I pray that you would anoint me to speak your words with authority and power and life, God. I pray this morning that you would bring change and that then not one person would leave this place the same, including myself, God. I submit myself to you this morning, and I ask it now in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, let's zoom out of that intense letter for just a second, and let me give you a little bit of a background and a little bit of context so you would understand what we're talking about this morning. To begin with, this town or the city is called Thautira. Many scholars say that this is an interesting uh, juxtaposition of Jesus writing the longest letter to the smallest and least influential city. Uh, he, he writes this letter to a city that is in fact known as a place of trade and commerce. We first hear about Thyatira in the book of Acts, where uh, I believe it's Paul is, is in Philippi, and he meets a young lady by the name of Lydia, who they say is a maker of purple or a seller of purple. This would have been a purple dye or purple clothing. And so what we do know, we, we know very little about this particular city compared to many of the others that Jesus writes to. Uh, but what we do know is that it very likely um, was a place of commerce, a place of trade, a place where they would manufacture many different things. Uh, what they did find was a stone with an inscription that listed many different guilds. Uh, so there was the guild of the, of the woodworkers, the guild of the, of the cloth makers, the, good, the, the guild of, the, of the, those that made the, the clothing of purple. The, the guild of all these different things uh, were listed on this, on this list. Now, uh, Barclay says, from the inscriptions that we found in the neighborhood, it's clear that Thyatira possessed many trade guilds more than any other town of its size in Asia. Now, why is that important? Uh, a guild would be like kind of like a modern-day union. Okay? It'd be like something that you had to join if you wanted to be successful in your career. And so it was assumed and expected that as a trade, somebody who's working in a certain area, that you would join the guild that was attached to your trade. Now, a lot of these guilds actually had uh, uh, pagan gods or idols that were attached to what they did. And so part of being a part of these guilds is that it was expected that you would uh, follow different social expectations. There was certain social requirements that were upon you. And many guilds had these patron gods. They would have these social gatherings that would often take place in temples and it would involve eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. This would often be followed by excessive drinking. And that, of course, as we all know, often doesn't lead to very good things. And so that would lead into all sorts of debauchery, sexual immorality, all sorts of practices that the, it was very obvious that if you were a follower of Jesus, you should not be participating in. This is what's happening in the general society of Thyatira or Thautira. 
And it's into this environment and culture that the Christian church is born. So you can imagine the challenges that they are facing. I think it's a challenge that we can all relate to today. You know, where is the wise compromise? How do I feed my family? How do I take care of the people around me and yet not compromise on my faith? How do I, how do I take part in my business? How do, I, how do I live this out at school and not compromise on my faith? And this seems to be the challenge that Tatira is facing. How do I lift this out? Now, if we go back to the letter, it starts by Jesus praising them. If we want to know a little bit about this church, this is what he says, I know you. I know your works. I know your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And as for your works, man, the last are more than the first. Man, he starts out with a glowing review of this church. They are killing it. Man, they're rocking. They've got works. They've got love. They've got service. They've got faith. They have patience. They are absolutely dominating when it comes to the outward appearance of the church. For all intensive purposes, we could say, well, this church is just, they, they, are, they are the cat's meow. Don't know where I got that from. Just came to my mind. So I threw it out there. There you go. That's who these guys are. They've got this whole thing seemingly figured out. They're, they're a people uh, of purpose. They're a people who seem to have uh, the outward appearance that everything is healthy, everything is good. But now Jesus goes deeper. And he tells us that there is a problem in the church, a very major problem. You see, what's happened is, uh, according to Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, it says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Interesting. Now, now that we know a little bit about the community that the, the, the church of Thyatira has to live within, we might have a better understanding of what this might be talking about. You see, apparently what has happened is there's a woman that has come into the church and she's claimed herself to be a prophetess. And, and, and through time and through um, you know, standing out, through the Bible says she seduces, she, she draws people to herself, and she has been teaching a new enlightened gospel. She's saying, listen, you've been hearing that, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, take part in all these different, you know, idolatrous uh, 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 social gatherings, and we shouldn't be doing all these different things. But she said, I, I have a new and enlightened way. I want to tell you, I, 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 there's, there's this idea about this grace, this thing that you can just, you can just go, you can do whatever you want to do, and God's, God's going to be okay with that. You can experience these things in the world around you, and you can compromise. It's interesting that they call her Jezebel. It's likely not her name. It's likely a reference to her character and her strategy. What do we know about Jezebel? Well, uh, Jezebel is an Old Testament character. She was a queen who, First uh, Kings 16, 29, you can find out about her if you want to read about her. Um, she was a pagan queen, an outsider, that married into the royal line by marrying a king by the name of Ahab. She came in with a strategy and a plan. And that was this. She was going to turn the children of Israel away from the worship of Jehovah or Yahweh, and she was going to encourage them and push them and forced them to turn towards her God, who was Baal. 
she had a spirit of compromise that was on her. It was to come in to join up insidiously and then turn people away from the truth. Turn people away from the standard. See, she tolerated the priests of Jehovah who, as long as they tolerated Baal. The scholars all agree that she tried to combine Jehovah worship and the worship of Baal together. And she became an influential part of Israel and used that influence to draw people away from God. Therefore, it's likely that the woman spoken of in Revelation did not have a problem with serving Jesus. But what she was proposing was a new and more enlightened way to serve Jesus and stay engaged in commerce and society. Jezebel is the picture of one who comes into a position of influence in the church and uses that influence to draw people away from Jesus. And, and this is who Jesus is warning the church about. Hey! I see these works you're doing, they're great, but you got a problem. you got somebody among you who's drawing you away from me, and you're not even seeing it. Why? Because God is always drawing us back to himself. Because God is always drawing us back into right relationship with him. Why? Because he loves us. William Barclay says this, it must be clearly understood that she had no wish to destroy the church, but she wished to bring it into a new way, which were in fact destructive of the faith. What a sobering warning to the church of Thaltira. And what a sobering warning to us. What is the way that we might be moving away from the things of God? Here's, here's what I know. I've, I've learned this in time. The second law of thermodynamics is that any system left to itself will spiral into entropy or chaos. That if you leave something long enough, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. Just look at my daughter's room. Right? I mean, that's just, it's just a reality. If you don't intentionally go in and build up and restore things, they will disintegrate and they will fall apart. If you don't take care of that car, what's going to happen? We've all seen that, right? Sitting in the back of somebody's garage, there's this beautiful Thunderbird or whatever it is, and the, the tires are all flat, and there's dust everywhere, and things are falling apart. The paint's peeling off. Why? Not because they did, they did that to it. They just left it. And over time, it falls apart. This is what I know, is that with, if we are not intentional about our pursuit of Jesus, that relationship will fall apart. That relationship will grow cold, and we will drift away. See, the issue that people are being tempted with here is compromising against the standard of Jesus as revealed in his word for the sake of comfort and prosperity. They're being led by someone who is claiming to speak for God. And so my question to you this morning is, who are you allowing to influence you? Or in other words, I could say it this way, what is leading you? What is leading you? See, this is the same strategy that the enemy's always used. It's, it's, it, there's nothing new. That's, that's why Jesus later on references this and calls it the depths of Satan. That seems pretty intense, right? But it's actually pr pretty simple because the very first um, experience and mention that we have of the devil in the book of Genesis is him coming to Adam and Eve at the time 
uh, to Eve in particular, is, is her at the beginning, is in the form of a serpent, and saying to Eve, did God really say? Questioning the word of God. Trying to add to or take away from it. Trying to, to question the foundation, the standard which they were living by. It's the same strategy that he uses in Thyatira, and it's the same strategy that he uses today. Does God really care? Does God really care about you? Does God really have a plan for your life? Is God really, is he even involved in the world around us? I mean, look at, the, look at the, uh, what we have out there, all the chaos that's taking place. Does God really even care? And slowly, the things of life, the cares of life start to drive us away from his presence start to drive us away from the standard that he has, which is a relationship of only Jesus. This is a strategy. So, the question is this. How do we fight against that? Well, I go back to what I talked about at the beginning. In order for you to not compromise, you need to have a strong grip and firm understanding of your standard. And as followers of Christ, our standard is Jesus. Oh man, I could just have left you there. We could have just stopped right there. Don't compromise. What do we have to compromise against? This is so frustrating. No, no, no. It's Jesus. It's Him. And we're not talking about rules and regulations. We're talking about a relationship where He reveals Himself to us from His Word. It's Jesus. So how does that actually work? I mean, that sounds so nice. I could, it sounds so trite, really. What's the answer, Sunday school? Jesus. Yes. Right? What does that actually look like in our lives? Okay, here's how we're going to land this today. You guys still with me? Okay, listen up. Here's what we're going to do. I believe that Jesus reveals elements of his character and nature to us in this particular passage. We're going to look at six of those today of how he reveals himself, and it's going to help us to understand how Jesus is the standard that we must not compromise against. Okay, here we go. Number one, let's do this. Number one, how does, how does he reveal himself? Number one, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit and by his word, is able to convict us of sin. That's the first thing. One of the big questions that comes up is, how do I know if I'm being deceived? The problem with being deceived is that you're deceived like, okay, how do I know? Well, the answer is this. Jesus will convict you of sin. This is how he reveals himself at the very beginning. Revelation 2.18, and to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like flames of fire. What does that mean? Eyes like flames of fire? That sounds scary. Yeah. What is it scary against? Who, who should be scared of this? Should it, should it be us? Maybe a, a little bit? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? In the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence. Maybe, maybe a little bit. But really, the enemy ought to be afraid of this. Come on, because his eyes are like flames of fire. What does that mean? He's angry. What do you mean by angry? <laughs> the one with an anger against sin and an ability to see into man's heart. That's what this means. An anger. Why is Jesus angry with sin? Well, we know this. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
Because Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. Listen to me. Jesus is passionately intolerant against sin because he's passionately intolerant of people being enslaved. I just said the intolerant word. Now I'm in trouble. Put it on YouTube. <laughs> he's passionate about you being free and living a life that is holy and set apart for him. Living in the best days of your destiny because you are following Jesus. Because you're living in the greater calling that he has on your life. Because he's calling you up to another level. This is who our God is. Come on, this is what we know about God. In John 16, 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit and by his word, is able to convict us of sin. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Number two, Jesus is the standard of purity and the anchor for our souls. Revelations 2, 118, 2.18b says, At his feet were like fine brass. Now, why would it say fine brass. I'm simply going to read from the commentary about that rather than comment on it myself because I know nothing about metalwork. Okay, just to be clear with you. Jesus chose this description of, of himself from Revelation 1.15 to emphasize his purity because brass is pure and highly refined in the fire. It also emphasizes his steadfastness because brass was the strongest known metal in the ancient world and his feet like strong and fine brass would be strong and immovable. How can we know that Jesus is the standard? What does this mean? He is the standard. He revealed, he's revealed as pure. He's the model for life. He's the standard that we live by. And he is revealed as unchanging and immovable. Come on, somebody. How many need something unchanging and immovable in your life that you can hold on to? Come on, we're talking about compromise here. You might be thinking, oh man, I don't know what that means. Compromise against my feelings, against, against my dream? Come on, because the world is, after all, all about me. No, the greatest freedom you will find is when you recognize that it's not about you. It's actually about Jesus. Oh, he's the standard. He's the pure one. You, it's not up to you. It's up to him. He's going to convict you of sin. He's going to show you where you need to change, where you need to repent. And then, th then you can cling to him. You can rely on him. When we sang, Great Are You, Lord, this morning, and you're like, man, are they going to sing it one more time? Yes, we are. Because you've got to get that in your spirit. You've got to get that in your heart. So when you're walking this week and you're going about your day and you face that overwhelming circumstance, you remember that he is immovable. He's still great, even though you don't feel it that morning. He's still holy, even though you might have that, might be the furthest thing from your mind, somewhere inkling in the back of your mind is going to be, right? So you can walk in that confidence, knowing that you have a firm foundation. And his name is Jesus. Come on, this is good. Now, how else is he describing himself to us? Number three, Jesus, oh, this is good, is quick to forgive those who repent. So I don't know if you missed this, but right in the middle of this passage where he's talking about this woman, Jezebel, he throws in this little nugget, this little seed thought that just kind of germinates. It just kind of sits there, and it's for us to unpack. And it's Revelation 2.21. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. 
Our Jesus is merciful and compassionate. Slow to anger and rich in love. Psalm 103, verse 8. And this is what we're told from 1 John 1, 7 to 9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come on, somebody. Come on. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's what he does. He convicts us of sin. He is the anchor for our soul. We can rely on him. And then guess what? When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why does Jesus convict us of sin? Why does he take the time to write this harsh letter to the church? Because he loves us. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't say. It's funny. My kids, you know, they... They, they always try and call us out on if we're, if we're giving them verbal discipline, right? If we're going at them, we're like, hey, listen, you guys can't do this. You know, there's going to be some consequences for that, you know, whatever that consequence might be that particular day. And they'd say, why? Well, I wish I just lived in a house where my parents just let me do whatever I wanted to do. Why would you do this to me? And my response is, listen, honey, if, if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't be talking to you at all right now. You know, like, if, if I didn't care... If I wasn't, like, you know, crazy about you and wanting your best, I'd just let you do whatever you wanted to do. Fine. Go do that. Go play in the street. Whatever. Right? But because of my love, I don't let her get away with things. I hold her to a standard. I hold my kids to a standard because I love them. Because I want what's best for them. And this is the great God, Jehovah, who knows you, who sees every part of your life, who wrote down every one of your days in a book before you lived one of them, who could count the number of hairs on your head, the God who created you, who, who, who fearfully and wonderfully made you in your mother's womb, that knows your beginning, and he knows your end. In fact, he is the beginning, and he is the end. And this is the God who is slow to anger and rich in love. Come on. If you're feeling convicted about sin, listen, this message is not meant to make you feel guilt or shame. And if you're feeling that, that's from the enemy. But if you're feeling some conviction right now about an area of compromise in your life, that's the Spirit of God drawing you to himself. Let's move on. Number four, God will bring justice. That I wrote that? Yeah, good. God will bring justice. Here's the next part that was revealed about Jesus. Revelation 2.23, all the church shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one according to your works. Here's the idea. Outward success does not always equal kingdom success. I threw in a, a word in there. Always. Because, again, outward success does not always equal kingdom success. Have you ever found yourself... You're trying to be faithful, and it just looks like the person beside you on Instagram is just killing it and everything. Right? Y you know, like, oh, this is how you work out for three hours every morning. Oh, and Bible, you know, coffee, uh, uh, candle, hashtag blessed. Right? Y'all seen that one? And you're like, here I am just struggling I'm going to get up in the morning. I feel nothing, and I'm going to choose to look at my Bible before my phone. That's the best I can give you. 
but I'm going to choose to do that, and, I, and I'm going to be faithful in that. Okay, listen, this is, this is grace to you. God sees that. Jesus knows that. And, and I love this passage, Psalm 37, verse 9. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth. Jesus will bring justice. How can we know that he's our standard? Because he'll bring justice. He sees you. He knows you. Stay faithful. Pursue him. Number five, Jesus is in control. Revelations 2, 25 to 27. But hold fast when you have come, till you have come, and he who overcomes and keeps my word until the end, to him I will give the power over the nations. He shall rule them with an iron rod, a uh, 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 rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, all, as I also have received from my Father. As I also have received from my Father. Pardon me. So here he is revealing himself, as I also have received from the Father, as— hey, I just want to back up here for just a moment. This passage can be a little bit confusing. It's like, what? Like, dash them? Like, iron? Like, what is he talking about here? I, I want to go back to one word in here. He says, and he who comes and keeps my word until the end, to him gives power over the nations. He shall rule. Now, that word rule in the original Greek is actually this idea of shepherding, of managing and covering well. Um, that's what this idea is is about. So again, this goes back to this idea we just talked about, which is God is a God of justice. People will get according to their works. Don't worry about it. You don't have to fight for revenge. You don't have to, you know, the, the person, you have to look over the person's shoulder that's cheating on their taxes and go, oh, man, they just bought a boat. And I was, I had integrity, so I sold my boat, right? I mean, that's, that's the reality that, that we live in today. Um, and, and so don't, don't worry about that because Jesus is in control. He's going to shepherd you. He's going to guide you in the green pastures. He's going to lead you to where he wants you to go. Jesus is over all the nations. He is our provider and help so we can keep him as the standard of our lives. Okay? You with me? Okay, we got, we got one more here, guys. You guys are doing great. This is the last one. Finally, we know that Jesus is our standard because Jesus is The challenge to compromise here is to see the very real challenges that you face on a daily basis and choose to align yourself with what you're facing rather than to align yourself with great are you Lord that's the challenge how does Jesus reveal himself as our hope he says this, and I will give him the morning star. Now, this is 